This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. It's Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Dave Martinez here. What? Oh, was that Steve Austin? Was that no. Stone, Stone Cold Dan that, Dickinson? That was more Little John. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Uh, it, yeah, okay. Yeah, it, it's been a while. It's been a while, Dan, and uh, there's been plenty that's been happening. We were just trying to recap when the last time I was actually on the show was. I, I know I had a solo show somewhere in between there, and I think that was in April, but you had said when now was the last time that we were actually together? March 24th. Oh, my goodness. March 24th. Let's see. What what happened back in March 24th? I don't even think <laughs> the things that we can recount that have happened since then has been uh, quite unbelievable. So, so March 24th would have been right after the uh, 2 nothing win over DC at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, would have been, I mean, it's effectively three weeks into the season, but the team hadn't done much because they had all those bye weeks. Were we friendly with Cuba at that point? Weren't we always? Let's. <laughs> <laughs> it was gay marriage legalized. Uh, I'm trying nope. to figure out all the big landmarks that I've missed uh, in my time away. Anyhow, Peris- let's... Periscope wasn't a thing. Periscope wasn't a thing, which has become my thing in a, <laughs> for a while now. Uh, well, I guess hi everybody. <laughs> it's good to be here again. Uh, definitely missing out on Mark. We're just one person short of full Voltron because God forbid that was actually going to happen. Uh, but I'm sure at some point in the future, the three of us will be together. And, well, depending, of course, on myself and my schedule. <laughs> Let's not make it about me. Let's look at what we have on uh, on hand this week. We have a victory in Philly. Am I correct about that, Daniel? Uh, I, I believe so. Unless yes, okay. the result changed when I wasn't looking. Okay. Uh, we have a draw at Montreal. Is we that... do. No, we, we do. do. We have bulls and cows. We do. We definitely have that. There is a designated player that has joined the club. And I think he's Argentine. Who would have thought? I think that's the reason why I'm on the show, because an Argentine, that's it. An Argentine designated player has come on board. We're going to obviously talk about the Derby this weekend, the Derby, uh, the Hudson River Derby against NYCFC. It should be a big one. All that, more, and probably a bunch of teasing of my absence here on Seeing Red this week. Dan, where do we pick up, man? Let's talk about Philly, I suppose. Uh, We could pick it up from there. Uh, I'm sure that you feel the same way I do about those first 45 minutes of play. You probably want your life back after that snoozer. Uh, But then things clearly started to pick up in the second half. Well, I I made the great life decision to not watch the first half of the game. So (laughs) I uh, I win Bowl of the Week, I guess. You're 100% the Bowl. It sounded pretty dire, but, you know, uh, you you insert Sean Ride Phillips into the match and then suddenly... Everything changes, Dave. And it's unbelievable the impact that he had. And the one thing that I wanted to do while I was watching Sean Wright Phillips at work, drawing the PK, feeding his brother the, the, that dramatic goal, I, I just was desperately wanting to go on the message boards and ask people, are you happy now? Are you entertained? Is this what you were expecting? Uh, because clearly up to that point, the Red Bull fan base was a bit divided about what Sean Wright Phillips would bring to the club. Uh, if he was a designated player, I think there would have been a bit more vitriol. But even so, you people wind up buying into the narrative of another league. Uh, Sean Wright Phillips hasn't necessarily performed well in the Premier League over the past, let's say, five years. So that might be an understatement. Uh, but comparing that to his fortunes in Major League Soccer, alongside his brother after being with the club for a month, I mean, you really got to see a chemistry there in a very short amount of time. 
You did. And, you know, we were talking about this last week, but I think it was pretty fortuitous that he had been training with the club for as long as he had, that the contract negotiations had been as, you know, lengthy as it sounded like they were, because you, you get a player who's available immediately. You look at Montreal with Drogba, you look at NYCFC with Pirlo, you look at Giovanni Dos Santos in L.A. It, these are players that aren't necessarily available the moment they announce the signing. And with right. Sean Wright Phillips, it was, yeah, he'll probably play on Saturday. And he did, and he made a big impact. He, he made a huge impact. And let's not forget, this was billed, at least, as a revenge match. You wouldn't be able to tell by the first 45 minutes. But the Red Bulls did not only get three valuable points on the road, but this was a modicum of revenge following their U.S. Open Cup ouster. It, it definitely was, and uh, I, I think somebody on the show said it was going to be a three-one result. But that, that who is that happen. somebody? Who is that? I, somebody? I have no idea. Well, let's just say that predictions are always one hundred percent correct on seeing red, no matter who the host may be. <laughs> so then we got a short week, and it comes off uh, with Montreal. So many there were so many storylines going into Montreal this week. Uh, Jesse Marsh's return, Carl, Carl Wimet, who was clearly, uh, I mean, you saw how emotional he was during the match. Uh, I think that departure hurt him as, as a homegrown guy with Montreal. You had Felipe nearly taking the match at the end. Each one of them played integral parts in the creation of Montreal through Major League Soccer, and each one of them had to experience a 1-1 draw, which really felt like a win for New York. It did. I mean, you should never be arguing with a point on the road. And I think the more important thing coming out of this is you had a couple of players, especially given how emotions were running that match, in danger of getting a red card. You know, Grella took a yellow card early. Um, Felipe was one away from a suspension. You've got, you know, Matt Miazga, you know, having to play defense against Domaduro, who, as we've seen in the past, can uh, make a lot of defenders cry. Um, you know, I, I think coming out of there with a point is important, but I think also coming out with no suspensions going into the second hottest derby match at Red Bull Arena this year, I think will be uh, will be pretty critical too. I think it's a huge boon, and, and credit to I mean, again, we mentioned him before. We met, uh, played very well next to Miazga, except for a couple of lax plays, and due to one of those lax incidents. Uh, we saw the fiery Dax McCarty, who has really internalized the spirit of Thierry Henry, going <laughs> face-to-face with Wimed, nose-to-nose, nearly throwing blows at each other on the on the field. Uh, quite a little incident there. Yeah, it was... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I I almost felt like I was watching Henri, but I don't remember him getting that close to smacking his own teammate in the face. Mm, that's um, right. You got to give him credit where it's due. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it, it's good to see Dex that fired up, um, but hopefully he won't go in uh, too foot. I don't know who I met in training next time he sees him. It, it's so funny. This is the third time that somebody's mentioned that incident with Thierry Henry and Armando uh, Moreno today. Uh, yep. it, it's just such a memorable incident. The guy, Henry's a competitor all over the place, and McCarty has really taken on that mantle. Uh, never happy, uh, always looking at things from the negative perspective. I mean, celebrating the wins and everything else, but he, he's clearly taken on that Henry role where yeah, we won, but it's still not good enough. As a matter of fact, I think there was part of a quote that was uh, <clears throat> redacted after the Philadelphia match where they had asked him how about the match, and he had said something to the effect of, 
uh, yeah, we won and it's great, but uh, I think we played like uh, excrement, let's say, in the first half. He's a, and he told the reporter at the time, you can quote me on that. Nobody quoted him on it, but uh, <laughs> he did say it. And, and that's Dax McCarty. He's taken on that leadership mantle. I thought he got a little too physical with Wumet. Uh, kid may have been daydreaming a little bit. Didn't think it was for all of that. But then again, you know, could have cost him an encounter. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe that Metro armband is uh, cursed. In a good way. In, <laughs> in a, a good way. It's a happy right. it's, uh, it's got the soul, the spirit of Thierry Henry within each one of the bars. Yes. It, it's, it, was, uh, it was an inspired performance, I thought, from Red Bull. And, of course, uh, I mean, you tell me, man. Did you think Felipe was going to nail that shot? Uh, I thought it was going in. I absolutely did, too. Not going to lie. That, that trajectory, the, the way he hit it, it was poetry. And to me, it, it seemed like the perfect storybook ending to what was uh, – a mighty emotional arrival for these uh, former Montreal Impact players and coaches. Uh, I, I thought it would have been a great bow on that match. But, you know, Kisera Sera, we move on, and it's a 1-1 draw. The Red Bulls, two matches on the road, did quite well. Let's look at them bulls and them cows. Uh, can we start off with Philadelphia, sir? Your bull for the match. Uh, it's got to be Sean Wright Phillips. I'm with you. Comes into the match, big impact on that, that penalty shout. And and that that silky third touch. How many players do you know that have a silky third touch? Dave? Not many, sir. Not many, <laughs> and uh, not many who were who weren't really expected to do all that well. So, put well if you read the message boards again. I swear to you, dude. The first thing I wanted to do was just get onto Facebook, Metro Fanatic. Hey guys, what do you think? Is he still a bust? You still don't think he's going to transition? I'm not saying that Sean Wright Phillips is going to be a star in this league. I mean, we saw how quiet he was against Montreal. But he does bring certain characteristics to the game that the Red Bulls desperately need. So, absolutely the bull of that match. And now, who's your cow, my friend, for Philadelphia? Uh, it's hard to pick. Um, I know there were a couple people blaming Robles for the goal that gave up, but I'm just, I'll just generally give it to the back line because, you know, that that ball bouncing around and and Latou just pouncing on it. You know, it, it felt a little avoidable. Uh, you know, I couldn't give it to Robles either there, and I, I think backline is a good call. Avoidable is, uh, I think, the right word to describe it at that point. So we'll give it to the backline. It's kind of a weak cow because, honestly, you, you come up with that yeah. kind of a victory. It is what it is, but have to give it out there. So a quick move for that one, nothing major. Well, but let's go into Montreal now. Your bull, sir. Uh, uh, I mean, it was a night where everybody performed pretty well. Pretty, pretty good. Um, pretty, pretty good. Um, <laughs> I, and, and when you've got a bunch of pretty good performances, you give it to the goal scorer. So we'll, we'll, I'll give mine to Lloyd, Sam. I like that. Lloyd, I thought, was very impactful. Uh, actually, one of my writers, uh, Denny Gallagher, was taking care of that match for EOS. And he was talking about on Twitter how uh, Lloyd wasn't necessarily putting his stamp on the match. And I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't disagree more. Excuse me. I thought Lloyd was great and uh, always the engine of this of this club. So I'll, I'll give it to Lloyd as well. And as far as a cow goes for that match. Um, I'm going to give it to Bradley just because, you know, he, he seemed to have gotten his streak back a little bit as of late. And mm-hmm. it was a quiet night. He was offside as many times as he shot. So just didn't didn't seem to do much. No, he Bradley definitely fell into the background. I thought that was more of a of a result of the system of how they were playing out there. So I, I couldn't necessarily say it would be Bradley. I, I would mm-hmm. like to give it and I understand that Dax was being a leader there and big friend of the show, but I, I thought he was a little too harsh on the kid. At that point you make your point, you yell at the kid. I think we met may have 
asked for it by responding the way he did. Oh, man, I'm stuck. Do I give it to Dex or we met? You know, How about I, both? We'll give it to both. I, okay, both. Don't, Let's be diplomatic. Let's be oh. diplomatic and say, be friends, smile, hold hands, be teammates. Don't do that. Not on the field. Take it into the locker room. So to Dax and we met, go make up, kisses, hugs, and all that stuff. You are our cows, and this one I'll give a good one. That was good. Yeah, it's not quite Mark, but then again, nothing I do is. So we move on to Gonzalo Verón, the newest designated player signing. And clearly, Dan, the story here is he's Argentine. Please, go ahead. He's, he's not just Argentine. He's a creative midfielder. Dan. Oh, well then. Well it, then. It, it's like all of the dreams that I've read <laughs> on every Facebook conversation <laughs> for the last five years have finally come true. Somebody had said that this is, uh, I think it was on Twitter, saying that this is uh, this particular year in Red Bull history is an alternate universe. I mean, lowest payroll in the league. They're bringing in young players, designated players. They're trying to stay away from the older folk. Uh, not the team that we knew in, uh, and understood for all these years, Dan. No, it's definitely not. And it, it's hard to wrap your head around sometimes because you, <laughs> you know, and in fairness, when they when the Verone rumors finally started, and you know it, it was about what five days between they're going to sign him and they signed him, right? Um, it, there, there was a certain level of shock that I had that the team was even signing a designated player, because sure. for the last two three seasons it was always if we find the right player, and that became shorthand for we're not signing one, or at least it felt like it. No, and absolutely. now apparently they found the right one. It's not just that they found the right one, Dan, but they're also, I mean, we're talking about, if reports are correct, $2.2 million in transfer fees. Right. That's, That's a huge number for MLS, not just the Red Bulls. MLS in general, they don't do that. Well, I mean, they have, but it's normally for players that have, you know, huge names. You look at Michael Bradley, I think there was a $10 million transfer fee to get him out of Roma right. or something like that, and... You know, Defoe and all those. Most of Toronto's, you know, train wreck of DPs over the years have, have had transfer fees attached. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was good seeing them. Spe- you know, you remember Henri and, and Rafa and Frank Roast and, you know, those guys didn't have fees attached. I think Cahill, I seem to recall Cahill having like a $1 million fee attached or something like that. So, I you know, it's, it, it's good to see them splash a little cash for a change. Well, it definitely reverses the narrative a little bit, and it's kind of what uh, what Marsh and Curtis have been saying all year. You know, if the right player comes on board and they're looking at somebody young who fits into their model, uh, they're going to go after them. That's why I, on the day of Sean Wright Phillips signing, I was kind of scratching my head. I, I like the player. I think he could do well in Major League Soccer, but it deviates from their standard. This is not necessarily the player or the, the proto, uh, prototypical player that they would spend that kind of money on. Mm. Uh, asking Curtis and Marsh about it um, at the actual press conference for Sean Wright Phillips, they called him an outlier, and he really is an outlier. So now you're looking at a guy like Veron, he falls into the model, 25 years old, uh, dynamic, quick, uh, high ceiling for, uh, for growth. He can play on either wing, is naturally a central forward, a central striker from what I understand, but he's a striker that has plenty of assists behind him as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if you bring on a, uh, a Gonzalo uh-huh. a Veron and you see him... 
line up behind Bradley Wright Phillips as a playmaker, as that central attacking midfielder the Red Bull fans have been searching for for so long, and possibly shifting Klesson back, possibly in uh, in Felipe's role. I was going to ask how do how do you fit him on the field? And you know there was all this talk about how Mike Grella was told the position is his to lose, but if right. you if you look at that front six, let's say, sure, and you and you start thinking through why everybody's on the field. I, I don't know that Felipe is necessarily the first to go. You know, that there, there is a, a certain degree to which everybody believes that Felipe is Marsh's guy, the same way that Bellucci was Baca's guy and, uh, you know, Petke had Alexander. Sure. Somebody, somebody put that list together on Twitter the other day. And so, you know, I, I don't know what Jesse's attachment is to each of the players. I think, obviously, you know, Dax is the captain. You can't sit him. Bradley's the other DP. You can't sit him. Lloyd Sam's been consistent as hell. Hard to sit him. So then you're looking at Sasha Felipe and whoever's on the left. And it'll be interesting to see. I don't think that you take Sasha. And I understand the Red Bull fans have had their consternation with Sasha. Uh, but I don't think you take him out. Uh, do first off due to the performances that he's had, because he has been solid in many occasions. He's just playing out of position and the money that they've invested in the man. I know that does, that's not supposed to play a part, but you've invested in him at this point. So it brings it down to, for me, again, Grella and Felipe. Mm-hmm. And if Felipe is occupying a spot where Kleshin could most likely thrive in, uh, I think the the point is clear at that point that Felipe has to be the one to sit uh, in order to, uh, to accommodate the higher-paid, higher-profile player. And imagine that top four, Dan... If you have a Sean Wright Phillips and a Lloyd Sam on either wing, a Veron in the middle, right behind Bradley Wright Phillips, you're talking about the quickest offense in the league. I can't imagine one being quicker or possibly more lethal. But in that lineup, you just said Grella's not in it. Grella so, would not be in it. And that's okay. the thing. I, you know, you have to credit Marsh also. He has said it. Bradley Wright Phillips repeated it. it the job is Grella's to lose. Um when you look at Grella's performances, he has these moments of brilliance. He's a great player. He's quickly become a fan favorite. But I think that over time, if Sean Wright Phillips is the Sean Wright Phillips that we know, or the Sean Wright Phillips that he can be, uh, it makes it very difficult to look at Grella and say, you know what, he's going to be our first choice option. Oh, definitely. And, you know, I, I love what Grella has brought to the team. He's, he's great at one-on-one dribbling and you know, the little skill moves to make space in the box. But, you know, there are games where he just sort of disappears. And it's hard to uh, oh, figure sh- out. Grell yeah. calling you. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say, bro? <laughs> uh, I'm going to turn that off. That might I'm be a good idea. The phone. Nobody wants Grella yelling at you, yelling at you on seeing red. It's just, <laughs> it's not the place for it. So, Mike, please, please calm down. Let's move on, Dan, because we have a Darby Darby, I love that word. We got a Darby this weekend, arg. We got NYCFC coming into Red Bull Arena for, as you so eloquently put it, the second most important Darby match at Red Bull Arena this year. Um, NYCFC, I'm I'm telling you, Dan, I was at purchase today. I was uh, at purchase for their training. I'm looking at the players. I'm looking at the talent. You can see what they can achieve and all they've done is fall short all season long, and the Red Bulls have had their number to this point. I don't think that's going to change this weekend. It would be very hard for it to change, and it would require City to start having a couple of things click. You know, if, if, you, if you listen to the, the Blue fans, 
they're they're perplexed with crisis lineups. Right. You've got Ned Grabovoy playing. Nobody gets it. Why? Why is Ned Grabovoy on the field? And to a a certain extent, you know, there's a little bit of that with Bellucci from time to time. Um, you know, the, the fans are very high on Poku, and they should be. He had three assists against uh, Orlando. Uh, you know, the, the kid's got talent, even if he's a little rougher on the edges. Um, you know, you've got David Villas in, in fine form, tons of goals, lots of them off of penalties, in fairness. But, you know, he's, he's able to put something on net and, and generate assists, so he's been good for it. Uh, but then you've got these other two DPs. You've got Lampard, who, you know, got up... Uh, on uh, what was the the game against uh, Montreal? Montreal, right? You know, he got up, jogged around, looked kind of winded, and and then he got to sub on. Um, <laughs> he, he, him getting into full fitness is going to be really tough. And oh, absolutely! I don't know when he's going to make an impact for that team this year if he's going to. And Pirlo, you know that the first thirty minutes against Orlando, everybody was high as a kite. Look at him spray balls around. He's passing. His vision is just over the moon. And he was great that game. But then you look at the Montreal game. Couldn't get a pass going in the in the attacking half of the field. Nope. And just, not only that, uh, but couldn't it, couldn't track back on defense to save his life. Dom Aduro almost stripped him of the ball. Dom Aduro nearly made Pirlo look silly. As a matter of fact, I think uh, I think the ref may have been kind in not in calling a foul on Dom when he did because I thought that was a clean. <laughs> I really thought that was a clean takeaway. But you're absolutely right. I mean, you do have these uh, veterans of the game like a Lampard. The best comment that I had uh, during that match was from my man Dan Dickinson, who told me Lampard was sweating before he even made the match, and he's sure as hell right. You look at that video, and Lampard's jersey is soaked before he even touches the field. This is a guy that's just not in, not in shape to be out there right now, but he is, at this point, a necessity for NYCFC. They're going to have to play him out there, and with the quick legs of the New York Red Bulls, it's going to be driving these veterans into the ground come uh, come the Sunday. You, you, will, eh, you would certainly think, and... I guess the problem at this point is that even though this is a derby and even though it will undoubtedly be sold out at Red Bull Arena, this is almost starting to feel like a trap game. You know? Oh, oh absolutely. Eight absolutely. plays in the East? I'll, right. give you, I'll give you a good example of the trap game, by the way. The way you described David Villa a couple of minutes ago, it's, oh, yeah, he scored a couple of PKs. That's David Villa, man. David Villa has skills for days. These are the types of players that we're looking at that may not perform in, in, in certain areas, but they can absolutely put it together against the Red Bulls this weekend. And, and you're right. It's so funny. If you look back at the beginning of the year, to think that anybody would be overlooking the third and final Hudson River Derby, uh, it would be insane. The Red Bulls didn't, weren't supposed to be where they are, but here they are, second place in the East, looking fantastic against an NYCFC team that continues to struggle with their identity. This is absolutely a trap game, 100%. It is, but if they can win it, and I think the key is going to be defensive strength rather than offensive, because NYCFC's defense will break down in a heartbeat, but you know the, the last few games at Yankee Stadium have been just slugfests and shootouts, and you know, granted, the field's different. We'll, we'll see what it's like. Uh, in Harrison this weekend, but if, if Miazga can put up a performance like he did against Villa the last time, and if you, you know, uh, Paranel will be back, you've still got Kamar Lawrence on the left, we'll see who slots in on the right. Um, you know, if, if they can shut down Villa, then they have a good chance of 
making it out with a sweep. And, and they'd be 12 points clear with a game in hand. That would, that would be quite a result. Uh, and you're looking, again, if you look at NYCFC, they're making, besides the results, which is the only thing not going for them, off the field, 18,000 season tickets sold. They have a brilliant following in the media now. They've opened up the market in, in many ways, so you got to give them credit there. But without question, they're calling the Red Bulls daddy at this point, and I'd have to wonder if come Game 3, uh, New York will be able to do it again. The Red Bulls, that is. So, Dan, let's get our predictions down because they're always so damn accurate. <laughs> what do you have going on for this weekend? 2-1 Red Bulls. 2-1 Red Bulls. I'm going to call it a 1-1 draw because uh, I, I just can't see Don Garber's pet project not getting one point out of this derby in the first year. They have to get something. I don't see a win. I just can't see NYCFC getting it together at Red Bull Arena uh, against that team. The Red Bulls are just red hot. They're looking fantastic. Uh, I'll call it a 1-1 draw. Fair enough, man. I think so. With that said, we will be back for the second segment. We have Steve Cangelosi, Madison Square Garden, Sirius XM, all things football. The man knows it all. He will be with us in a couple. Stick around. This is Seeing Red. The new Oh, that changed too. It's no longer the New York Sock. Oh. It's it's just Seeing Red. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. This is segment two, and as always, we have our interview. This week's guest is a big one, Mr. Steve Cangelosi. You know him as the voice of the New York Red Bull. Steve, how are you? My first appearance of 2015, Dave, which means I'm catching up on you, so be careful. <laughs> Ouch. I've been, you know, if you listen to the first half of the show, which I'm sure you will, Steve listens to the show, and uh, we appreciate the support, uh, you'll hear a lot of ribbing going my way, so uh, thank you for adding your two cents as well. <laughs> Let's, uh, can we can we talk about the games here? <laughs> the Red Bulls, the Red Bulls are coming out. The Red Bulls are coming off of a, uh, a draw at Montreal. They also won in Philadelphia. Two huge road results for the club. Uh, Steve, tell us your thoughts about it. Well, uh, I think that despite the fact that this team was trailing at halftime in Montreal, it was still a step towards what Jesse Marsh wanted to see from the team uh, as they arrived at Stade Saputo. Uh, don't get me wrong. He's obviously thrilled with the three points in each of the two previous road games, but uh, Clearly, he wanted to see his team dictate the game more. And strangely enough, I think they accomplished that despite the fact that they go to the halftime locker room and Dominic Adoro scores a goal that I'm not even sure Dilly Duca meant to lay back for him. He probably didn't. Adoro just shot it, and they trail at halftime. But even then, they continue to respond well. I think it's another positive step. Even though the winning streak comes to an end, it's a positive step now as they brace for, let's face it, what is a very big stage once again before a sellout crowd on Sunday uh, against what has become their, their biggest rival in MLS in very short order. I think I could say that now. And I was one of the holders on that uh, the real rivalry is with D.C. United and one that's still something very special but I like the back and forth between these two fan bases in New York, and I think it's graduated to that in very short order, actually. Steve, you, you touched on Jesse Marsh's building uh, in that last answer, and I wanted to ask you, you know, he's had a lot to deal with this year. He's had to make pieces worth from an existing roster. He's had to bring in some new talent. He's had to define a style of play, not just for the first team, but for all the teams below it. How do you think he's done, and how does he compare to, to past 
head coaches that you've seen come through this club? I think he's done exceptionally well. And now I think that the new challenge, you know, really begins with this wave of the influx of players who come in. Sean Wright Phillips with two games under his belt and Gonzalo Verón, who I expect to play some significant role, whether that's as a starter or not, uh, remains to be seen. And I don't think that that will, will be decided on quickly. Uh, Jesse, to me, is somebody who has displayed himself as someone who's extremely comfortable in his own skin. And he came in with very difficult circumstances, obviously, with the departure of his predecessor, who is uh, an endearing figure to the fan base uh, of this team. And I think that he's responded to that marvelously. He's done it with poise. I think he's given a lot of the right answers to difficult questions uh, during the course of the season. And I think now he's struck a balance with this group where he likes his team. You know, that's the part that makes it easy, Dan. He likes the team that he's putting out each and every week. We usually chat on the morning of every game. You know, he gives me some one-on-one time just to kind of enlighten me on what he's going to try to do that night and what certain keys are that maybe he hadn't discussed up until uh, you know, that point when when we chat just as broadcaster and coach. And when I had the most recent conversation with him on Wednesday morning, he was genuinely excited about what's put together. Um, I think he liked the team at the beginning of the season. I think he thinks now the possibility of something special very much exists. And I think he's going to enjoy that challenge of of making it all work and making sure he keeps certain players on board with everything. Mike Grella is a name that comes to mind. Mike Grella, who I think he wants to continue to play and give every opportunity to succeed, and yet you do the math and you're asking yourself the question, how does he keep him in the lineup? But those are the things that he enjoys. I think he's handled this very well two-thirds of the way through the season. I think that leads nicely into the new acquisitions, Sean Wright Phillips and uh, Gonzalo Verón. Uh, those players hold certain skill sets that are vital to the club and the offense and the way the Marsh wants to play. So how do these guys, like a Mike Grella, for instance, or a Sasha Kleschen even, uh, fit into the equation once you bring in these two talented players? I think the formation is first and foremost uh, that is the great mystery here. You know, does he try to move to a two-striker alignment? Does he crunch it with five players in the midfield? Uh, I I suspect there's going to be one radical shift, and and I'm not sure what that radical shift is. You know, one that comes to mind is, let's say either Sean Wright Phillips or Verone established themselves in very short orders as guys you'd rather see on the field for 90 minutes rather than 30 in a given game. That means the template of what we've seen over the last few weeks has to change somewhat. Uh, it's not lost on me that Felipe Martins now has gone 15 consecutive games without a goal or an assist. Now, I realize he's doing certain things that the organization values, but if one of the players that I mentioned really needs to be a starter, can you see Sasha Question moving back into more of a holding midfielder role than where he is right now? You know, th- that's one of the options. This, this is not an easy decision. What I think that Jesse does right right now is don't try to solve this overnight. Uh, he's going to make this uh, a, a very patient transition for Sean Wright Phillips 
uh, into the team. I, I, I suspect that he's going to come off the bench for a couple of games continuing on, and I think we'll see the same with Barone. But I think there will come that hard decision maybe sometime in late September, early October. That's probably not going to make somebody happy, but the idea is to keep those players on board. I think Jesse has a very good head about him, and I think he's got as good a chance to succeed as anyone in that respect. Speaking about Verone, Steve, are you surprised the club maybe didn't go for their sort of more traditional DP mold, a, a well-known European player near the end of his career, in the, you know, an Henri or a Marquez or maybe even a Cahill? Because the, the Verone signing, you know, the, the press release very explicitly said youngest DP in club history, and I, it, it struck me that this feels very different. <laughs> it's a younger DP. It's a far less known DP than some of the guys that you've mentioned. No, it didn't surprise me. It's consistent with, you know, what I think this group, the specific group of Jesse Marsh and Ali Curtis have laid out. You know, I asked him specifically a couple of weeks ago, you know, Drogba, should I be spending five minutes of my time on this? And, you know, the quick answer from Red Bull was no, that that's not the kind of player that, that we're going to go after, particularly at the age of 37. Look, if the sexy option is out there and it makes sense, I would suspect they're going to do it. I don't think that that option really presented itself for this team, you know, at this particular time. Do I think the days of the $3 million Red Bull player are over from now till the end of time? No, I think there's going to come another wave of that at some point. But right now, if you've got a good feel about this group and you think you can just add you know, something to make the machine work a little better rather than be you know, the so-called hood on the ornament, then more power to you. The way this team is constituted now, Dan, and you might disagree, right now this to me is a championship contender or at least a first place contender in the eastern conference and you know I, I trust me i have no reason to speak the red bull company line here uh, i'm the announcer for msg and i happen to do the games but looking at this team as objectively as i can tell you i'm looking at it there's no reason you should look at this roster as constituted now as something that lies in the shadow of a D.C. United or even a Toronto or an NYCFC that has $14 million of its payroll locked up into three players on an annual basis. That's all nice. I hope it does very well at the turnstile for them. That doesn't necessarily translate into any greater chance of success than what this team is doing. Right now, this to me looks like a very good team. If I'm pointing to one thing that I, I look at with some skepticism, it's the fact that Matt Miazga, who's played so well, is only 20. Is there proper cover enough to take them through the rest of the season? I think that's a legitimate question, but I think the group they've got right now in that position is playing pretty well. Couldn't, couldn't disagree with that even if I wanted to, Steve. But, you know, you okay. mentioned NYC. <laughs> You mentioned NYCFC. Obviously, we've got the Derby coming up on, on Sunday. It's a shame MSG hasn't been able to be the broadcast team for any of these. But what's your take on the atmosphere and what you've seen in the market as what, what you call the, the new rivalry has developed? Well, first of all, I'm hoping MSG gets to do a Red Bulls NYCFC game sometime before the year 2023. Okay, I, I do understand <laughs> that... <laughs> that they, they have network partners and those partners uh, tend to gobble up 
the marquee matchups. And, uh, you know, I don't want to dwell on this, but David Beckham was in the league for six years. MSG got to do one Beckham game. It was a 10:30 start on a Saturday night, but I digress and I'll take it back to your original question. Um, what's most fascinating to me is what Jason Christ imparts on his team from the NYCF side going into this game. Because if you go back to the first matchup at Red Bull Arena, clearly that was a case of one team wanting it more, and that factored into the end result probably more than than anything else. Uh, you know, ha- has the urgency been expressed to the team in this final regular season go-round against the Red Bulls? And what might that message mean to the likes of Pirlo and Lampard, who enter this rivalry now for the very first time. I think those are all important things. I I was telling Dave earlier today, I I spoke with Chris Klein, president of the LA Galaxy, uh, earlier this week. And, you know, he was saying this week, you know, the Galaxy now have to be not the best team in MLS, but the best team on the entire continent. And that means they've got to win CONCACAF Champions League. And I said to him, Uh, that's great. I know you value that. I know Bruce Arena values that. Do you think guys like Steven Gerrard and Robbie Keane understand the value of that? And he paused and he he said, you know, that's a good question. But they are competitive guys, and if they're playing you in ping pong, they're going to want to win. And, you know, okay, I'll buy the answer. That's okay. You know, I, I accepted that. Do guys like Pirlo and Lampard now come into this game on Sunday, recognizing the importance. Matt Miazga, you know, if I can take it back to him, the guy who was red carded the first time these teams played at Red Bull Arena, I know this. He'll line up on Sunday wanting to win the game as much as anybody on the field. And I do believe that anyone who doesn't have that attitude, that they know emotion is a very big part of this game on Sunday, and that this rivalry has established itself as something special very early, and there's a lot more than just three points at stake coming up on Sunday. Anybody who doesn't have that attitude, I think, will be a second-class player on Sunday. And Steve, I mean, as you said earlier, this is definitely in many ways surpassed the D.C. rivalry, which is something I wouldn't have said earlier in the year, and you had said you wouldn't have said it either, but here we are. What has this meant for the New York market? Have you seen changes? Uh, You know, look, the fact that we have a first-year entry into MLS and at Yankee Stadium they're boasting the third-best attendance in Major League Soccer two-thirds of the way into the season is significant. Uh, I was skeptical about how it would play out in the Bronx. I don't know if you guys had uh, a more positive feeling about, about it before it began than I did. Maybe you did, but I think it's wonderful that that's been established. Um, I think this means something special to the players. It means something to the coaches. Uh, It certainly means a lot to the fan base. Uh, There's a reason there won't be a ticket to be had on Sunday. It's been a wonderful thing to watch play out. And I think as the years go on, it's going to continue. You know, people think that sometimes the specialness of a rivalry dies as you get deeper and deeper into it. Uh, you guys know that you know for seven months a year I'm a hockey announcer. I don't care if they play ten times a year. There is always something special about the Rangers and Devils in the NHL. I suspect from now until the end of my life there's going to be something special about Red Bulls and NYC. Absolutely there is something special about this. And if New York Red Bulls walk off the team and sweep them in the first go-round of this, 
that's going to be a big, big feather in the cap of this team and the combination of Curtis and Jesse Marsh that knew it had a very difficult time winning over this fan base from the first time they kicked out a ball in March. It's very important, the rivalry between these teams. And uh, it's been more than I expected. I guess that would be the short answer, Dave, to your question. Steve, before we let you go, you you know, we're about two-thirds of the way through the season. Uh, lots of conversation going on around the league about MVP candidates. You've, you know, Sebastian Giovinco seems to be running away with it. Who, for your money, would you be putting your vote in for if it was today for MVP on this Red Bulls side? Uh, on the Red Bulls team, one MVP player. You know, <laughs> it's such a difficult question. And Dax McCarty is the one that comes to mind first. And it wouldn't be a runaway vote, Dan. Uh, the points are coming for Dax. And I thought that was the one thing that might have you know, sort of weakened his candidacy for something like that. And now five of his six assists have all come in the last three games. And I'm not going to point to that as the be-all, end-all to define a Dax McCarty. But he's the team captain. He does so many darn good things. Uh, You know, our our producer towards the tail end of the match the other night against Montreal you know, says, who's your man of the match? You and Shep each vote, and we'll just do it. And I didn't realize we both voted for Dax on a game where he didn't register on the score sheet or a game where the other guy, Lloyd Sam, scores a goal. Luis Robles did what he had to do on most of the occasions that night. But it was a typical Dax McCarty performance of intercepting, disrupting, hard challenges. Didn't expect the fight with Carl Ouellette in the field, but you know, a typical Dax McCarty performance. And I still look at him as the pulse of this team in so many ways, even if a lot of the other guys will have the sexier numbers and steal more headlines. So many times I look at him as the best barometer of what this team is on a given day. It's not a runaway vote, but right now I'd go with number 11. Sounds good. Steve Cangelosi can be heard in the booth on every MSG broadcast. I think your next one is uh, the Toronto game on the 15th, Steve. Finally, we get a Michael Bradley game on MSG. Let's hope he's not suspended for that. We're excited about it. Let's hope Juvenko doesn't run away with it either. We'll be back uh, right after this on Seeing Red. (laughs) You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup, and it's segment three. And we take your emails, we take your voicemails, but much like Dave Martinez, we're not seeing many participants in uh, the inbox this week. I think we have one email, uh, probably a testament to me being gone so long. It's just a a nice little reminder from the fans. This is what you get. Uh, But we will run through that, and uh, me and Dan will talk a little bit more about what's been going on this season. We'll start off with Rafael Borrero. And he writes, hey guys, let me start with reminding the world that Seeing Red is the premiere of all soccer podcasts. Those other MLS-specific podcasts are comparable to a high school audio video class project. Daniel, thoughts? Uh, we, we might be hitting that this week, but you know, we'll be okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we've reached. Without Mark, this, uh, this show definitely takes a downturn. Uh, is it me or does New York not seem to take advantage of being up a man or two? In games against KC, RSL, New England, Orlando, and Philly, the lone game came against Orlando only after a man up for 60 minutes and with the game in garbage time. Against Philly, New York was up a man 50 minutes, scored to tie 
with seconds left only to get tossed from the Open Cup on penalties. To make matters worse, New York has scored more goals. Two game against New York City and Vancouver, being a man short than when they have the man advantage, which is one against Orlando. Seems to me that we might be sitting a bit when the other team gets a red card instead of stepping on their throats. Your thoughts? Never put much thought into this one, Daniel. Well, I mean, it's happened so many times this year that I, I thought everybody was in agreement that the team does not, not play well against dead men. Um, I mean, the, the classic statement here is a team that's down to 10 is going to bunker. They're going to absorb your pressure, and they're going to try and hit you on the counter. And that's certainly what Philly did during the Open Cup. Um, you know, we've, we saw Orlando do it a little bit. Uh, one of the games that wasn't mentioned in there was the RSL game. The team was already up one nothing, um, but when RSL went down to ten and then nine men, because I think there was a double red card that game, um, they just couldn't couldn't find a way through, and it's because there's no penalty for a team to sit back and and clog the box and not let you in. So it, it's hard to step on throats when more and more teams are getting ready for playing down a man with let's bunker and. You know, the Red Bulls should find a way through that. They've got to pull apart those, you know, multiple multiple defender boxes uh, better than they have been doing. But, you know, there's no guarantee that going up a man actually... It doesn't hand you a three-goal win because the other team had somebody sent off. What do you think, Dave? No, I'm right there with you. This is something they could worry about or prepare for come the playoffs. During the season, I mean, things like this happen. Uh, look, New York has, at least in the early season, uh, expressed their desire to put feet on throat just by their, the offense they've deployed. They, they've been so dynamic, so suffocating at times that uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily consider it much of a concern if they go down a man. And as you said, that bunker down mentality, teams do it so well nowadays. It becomes an art form. Uh, Philadelphia, I mean, they've been doing it throughout the U.S. Open Cup, and they have, again, been fantastic at doing so. So uh, it's a concern, yes. Is it concern number one? Not necessarily. Uh, And I'm sure Marsh will recognize that come playoff time. But for now, I mean, week to week, you never know what's going to happen in Major League Soccer. Uh, They're going to have to continue to to press that offense and do what they can to to get wins. I I don't know necessarily how you prepare for that on a week-to-week basis, but... Again, come La Liguilla, come for the playoffs, it might be a different story. Well, and here's the interesting thing as I'm looking through the fixtures list. Mm-hmm. The, the club has been up at least one man six times this season. And in those six games, they have won four and drawn two. That's terrible. No, it's not terrible. Oh, it's not? At least they didn't lose. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> so they, they drew with SKC to open the season. I, I recall Matt Beasler got a red card in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, Two weeks, oh, well, not two weeks, but two fixtures later, um, they won two one, and Iguain got sent off in the eighty third. So you know they had the they had the game secured when they went up a man there. Then you fast forward to the RSL game, two red cards, but the Mike Grell goal was in the fourth minute. Um, you've got Jose Gonzalez getting sent off late in the four one destruction of the Revs. Uh, you got Kyle Barron going off against. The Red Bulls in Orlando, which, you know, they were up one nothing most of the game. Right. Yes, you, you want that insurance goal, but a one nothing lead is still a lead, isn't it? 
Absolutely. And then, you know, you, you've got Simon getting sent off last night for that second yellow. It was with 10 minutes to spare. I don't know how much throat stepping you can do when you've, you know, you've burned most of your subs and the team, a team that's tied 1-1 that just had a guy sent off is absolutely going to bunker. So, you know, the team was losing games when they were up a man, which I think they've done in, in past seasons. Absolutely, I would be more furious, but... Four wins, two draws. It's not like they've let the game slip. It's just right, that they exactly. Can't, it's they can't do any more. So you know, also looking back at a match like Philadelphia, at the end of the match, they were counting on guys like who who was it that they called on at the end there, Manolo Sanchez, yep. who had two golden opportunities. Let's face it, with the new signings that you have now, you suddenly have a deeper bench as well. They're going to be players that are more capable of breaking open a match and. That will change the equation for the Red Bulls as well. Again, four wins and two draws, six occasions. That's pretty darn good. I don't think there's any reason to really worry about it. But, you know, come playoff time, I'm sure that it'll come up. Dan, with that one email, the only thing I really want to ask you, uh, just focusing on the Hudson River Derby here, we've, mm. we're going through our third one. Uh, this year has been, I think, fantastic, whether it be atmosphere, competition, uh, Red Bull Arena being 25,000, Yankee Stadium at 48,000. There's coverage in the newspapers every now and again where there was once none. Reporters are being paid to be at the matches, which is a good thing for me, I suppose, and for yourself. And when you look at the, the change in the atmosphere here, uh, what has this year, looking back now, on what NYCFC's arrival has been, what it's meant to the Red Bulls, what is, what is your takeaway? What do you look back on of this year? What has changed in this market? You want me to answer this at the beginning of August? Jesus, Dave. Dude, it is... Uh, <laughs> listen, we're, we're approaching the last match, and I'm already seeing a ton of changes. But then again, I'm so invested. And I, I guess people always ask me what my bias is. My bias is New York soccer. And I look at it, and it's it's been remarkable to see this kind of uh, rivalry interest. Uh, the battles of between red and blue have been great. So just your take on the changes you've seen so far. Well, so I won't deny that the game day atmosphere has been fantastic. I think when we were doing the midweek awards last week, um, I gave NYCFC biggest rival because DC's got the history, but the atmosphere comparison, when DC came to town this year, it, it, it doesn't compare. No, no. The, there's, there's, there's nothing like that derby, and we've only had two of them so far, and we're going into the third. Um, and I will certainly agree that at the start of the season um, and around the derbies, you do get more media attention. There, there is this sort of natural hype cycle and, you know, a little bit of social media banter and things like that. Um, and, and so that's been good. But beyond that, I don't know that this year really feels any different to me. You know, I, I, I look at the faces in the press box. Same old faces. Not just at Red Bull Arena. Yankee Stadium is mostly the same people I've been seeing for years. And, it, it you know, the, there's certainly a little bit more fan engagement. There's certainly a lot more crap talking going on on social media all the time. As <laughs> I get caught in, the, caught in the crossfire of that pretty routinely. But, you know, it, it doesn't feel better than, than previous years. You know, in, in previous years, New York fans would shit talk... DC fans, or they they go after Revs fans, or you know, we. Uh, I always love the Portland games, and, and I've spoken about it at length before. But you know, you you 
social media is great because you can naturally develop a rivalry and, and banter with whoever you want. And the fact that there are now people in the same market that are, are supporting another team, it, it's not this, I, I don't want to sound like, you know, back in the day, but, <laughs> you know, the, the banter before in previous years was, it was either funny, you know, based on geography or based on performance of the teams or, or past match history and things like that. And a lot of the back and forth between red and blue and, and green, because we, we can't forget the Cosmos, um, they're Mark's favorite team after all. Uh, after all, of course. Um, you know, all, all of the, the back and forth this year has been about who's the better fan. You know, the, the Red Bulls fans rightly will point to the on-field performance and the, the NYCFC fans will rightly point to the off-field performance and the Cosmos fans will rightly point to Open Cup games this year and last year. Um, maybe not the second one this year, but at least the first <laughs> one. And, and I don't know, it's just, it doesn't feel fun to me anymore. Like, yes, it was, it was nice as the hype was building and as NYCFC was selling season tickets and as the Red Bulls, you know, they won their supporter shield after the team was announced. Um, they made a good playoff run last year. But I don't know, this year it just, it's felt, it's lacking the fun. If that makes any sense, what do you think? No, you, I think you get caught in this as much as I did. Well, of course. I mean, I think when you take it onto a on a personal level for yourself, myself, we put ourselves in the middle of the crossfire. We're always going to be, especially whether it be social media, uh, New York City soccer wars. Of course, trademark Z in uh, in that New York City soccer wars. Uh, we're going to be in the crossfire. Um, so that always makes for an interesting experience when you're talking to fans that you've known for years that occasionally uh, decide to get at you or new fans that you have no idea who they are and they start making judgments. I, I get that aspect as well. Uh, the fun aspect of it comes for me in just simply, as you said, the atmosphere. You know, it doesn't have the history of D.C., it doesn't have uh, the history of New England. Hell, you know, even Philadelphia has some history with the Red Bulls. NYCFC has none. But there's a competition now in the market, and that's what you want. You want competition in the market. Let's face it, Major League Soccer downplays competition on all ends. So when you have the ability to see two teams compete for a market the way the Red Bulls and NYCFC have, and in totally different ways... Uh, to me, that's been the fun. That has been the most engaging part of all of this. And as the season goes on, uh, again, you get to see the personalities. And one thing that I have enjoyed this year is uh, not so much the vitriol, but at least the uh, the budding cultural experience that's happening up in the Bronx as well. It's uh, it's made for an interesting mix because diametrically opposed to anything that's Red Bull fan or Red Bull supporter. And that's what you want with the league long term. Uh, the only uh, the other promising thing I've seen, as I said before, is, is media attention. Suddenly they may be the same faces, but they're being assigned matches now. They're being assigned by the Daily News, by the New York Post to be there specifically to cover soccer. And throughout the year, events like the UN's Women's, uh, U.S. Women's World Cup and uh, the U.S. soccer team, which continues to be uh, the U.S. men's soccer team, which continues to be drama filled. I mean, all of this is kind of added to uh, the growth of the sport in this region. For me, it's a, it's a, it's been tough at times. You're absolutely right, uh, but I think it's a promising step for the future, and it's something this market needed. 
No, I mean, it definitely did. But, you know, you, you mentioned the Daily News and the Post. It, it's, it's Stefan Bondi. It's, it's Brian Lewis. It's a little bit Michael Lewis getting, a, you know, a little bit more with Newsday. Yep. These are guys who have done the time and, and you know, are, are strong on the beat. But Absolutely. If they weren't covering soccer, they'd still be covering basketball or track and field or anything, you know, the Jets practice uh, upstate right now. But it, for, the, for the sports writers who are on the beat because it's their living, you know, it, it's good to see them get assigned more soccer games. I'm not, I'm not ever going to deny that. Sure. And, you know, they're, they're great voices to have around. I'm just, you know, with everybody else, it, it, I haven't seen a groundswell. It's not like New York One, for instance, close to your heart and mine. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not like New York One sending out crews to grab footage every game now or locker room sure. interviews so they can run them on Sports on One. Um, NBC4 has been great, um, generally covering the teams when they can, but it's not like they're around every game, you know? Well, and, let's see. Let's see the evolution as we move forward. Oh no, no, no. I mean, it at the very least, it's been baby steps. At the I, very I, least, I agree. It needs more time. And and my fear, and and let me preface this by saying, as much as it's going to lose me listeners, um, <laughs> you know, I I want NYCFC to succeed because. <gasps> Because if two teams can't get it going in this market, it doesn't say good things about the market, right? You need strong teams. To an extent, it's the same way I felt in 2013 when D.C. was stinking up the, the Eastern Conference. Yep. When D.C. is horrible, the rivalry with the Red Bulls means nothing. Nothing. And you can't you, – you want your rivals to do badly, but you don't want them to do so badly that there's no point in playing, that the fire goes out, Right. So I, I'm worried a little bit that some of what's going on up in the Bronx is the first year new pretty shininess. Mm-hmm. And they've done great with the season tickets. The media attention, you know, has been noticeable. Um, but I'm worried it's going to taper off rather than keep growing. And I'm, I will be so happy if I'm wrong about that. But <laughs> that, that's the concern. Well, the next chapter comes this Sunday, Dan, and we're going to see where this goes man it's listen brother it's so good to be back on the show talking to you it's it feels like old times so just so everybody knows i am on vacation the next two weeks uh-huh i will be traveling to the pacific northwest taking a Ooh. game i will be watching uh, seattle take on orlando and i will be watching portland take on houston i unfortunately will miss vancouver rsl because uh, i'm getting in not on Saturday, uh, although the, the RSL politely asked me if I was going to be there, which was uh, – always enjoy the personal touch from RSL. Uh, <laughs> but uh, So you won't hear my voice rambling on for the next two shows. Uh, it might be Mark and Dave back to – Back to old times. Back to the old, into the uh, to the to the old days, which weren't uh, weren't as good without you, my friend. Uh-huh. Danny, Stop. love being here, my man. Everybody out there, hopefully I'll be back. <laughs> but we'll see what happens. Big game this weekend. Everybody enjoy it. NYCFC, New York Red Bulls, Red Bull Arena. Our predictions are made, and they are locked down solid. Thank you so much for the Kanji man for being on board. This is Seeing Red, the new. This is seeing red. You can still call it the New York Soccer Roundup. Oh, we, we can. We rounded up New York Soccer. Well, we did. So this is seeing red, the New York Soccer Roundup. This has been seeing red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and SeeingRedNY.com.